0: The first snow of the year is always the hardest, and uh, it's the difficult, most difficult to get out. And uh, But you know, I was reminded as I was looking at the snow falling this morning, thinking that probably would be a light crowd because of that, but you know, God knows that. God is the, the giver of the snow as much as he's the giver of the sunshine. Amen? So we're not going to get discouraged over that. We're not going to let uh, a little bit of snow discourage us and... Uh, keep us from knowing what God is giving us this morning. I am going to talk this morning about our future, and I'm going to talk this morning about um, the need that we have, I believe, and and I think that we as a church are beginning to see the need as well for a um, youth leader, a a family life leader that goes down to the younger ages and then leading up to the uh, teenagers. But uh, before I start, before I talk about that, I want to talk... to you this morning about what I believe the lord has is giving us the Word for for the season that we 're in, and that word is prepare prepare everything that has value to it we prepare for right um, if you 're going to have someone come to your house and you are going to prepare your house for someone to come if you 're going to have Thanksgiving dinner you're going to prepare ahead of time for Thanksgiving dinner, right? You're not going to get the turkey out of the freezer uh, 10 minutes before you're going to eat it. If you do, you're going to have some disappointed guests, right? You have to prepare. And I think the Lord is giving us that word this morning, that we need to prepare the house of God for what he has in store for us. There is really a lot to that word prepare because it's so much more than just the house of God. It's talking about me as a person. The Lord has to prepare me. If I'm going to be on that roll call someday down yonder, there's some preparation work that has to happen in my heart today. And if I'm going to have that, I need to begin the preparation process now while I have the ability. If I wait till the end of the day to begin preparing, it's going to be too late. So preparation is a big word, and there's a lot to it. And we need to be very attentive to it. And we need to allow the Lord to give us the words and the ability and the ideas. So we are to prepare as a body, uh, as a church, and as a as a person. Uh, like I said, I, I want to talk a little bit more about what it means for us, for as a church, um, for us to prepare to be that church for the family. I think we do a really pretty good job ministering to the adults. I mean, I, I think we do a really a decent job. I think the praise and worship is good. I think Jackie and Larry, or Jackie, Larry, and the team do a great job with bringing worship. Um, I think we have a good Sunday school um, discussions. We have good teachers in our Sunday school there, areas. Um, <laughs> You've got a great pastor who preaches the word. Um, we know that. Just, uh, that's just a given, so I don't have to talk about that anymore. <laughs> But um, I think we do a decent job when it comes to uh, ministering to the adults. Do you agree? Yeah. The problem with that, though, is that that's a problem. Because um, if we're just speaking to the spiritually mature, we're just kind of speaking to the choir, aren't we? As much as we appreciate the choir, as much as we appreciate you, we have to begin looking outside of us if we're going to be the church that God is pleased with, and even the church that is going to be here after we go away. <laughs> we have to start looking for the younger generation. We have to start focusing on the, the youth. If you look around and in most of our church services, today it's, I mean it's extreme, you know more, more sparse obviously because of the weather, but what we see is a lot of friendly faces. A lot of people that we know, a lot of people that we trust, a lot of people that um, we know where they're at spiritually, and uh, it's very comfortable. But tell me what we're not seeing when you look around. What's that? Youth. We're not seeing youth. We see a few, a couple. But what else aren't we seeing? People under 40. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're not seeing many new Christians either, are we? what we're seeing is is pretty much a group of mature uh, uh people that have been in in church and and they live in their Christian life for quite a while and um that's good and it's bad at the same time. Um, I say bad in the sense that it that it seems that the longer most of us become christians the, the the more set we get in our ways and the more comfortable we get and the more sedentary we get and uh sometimes we need a new a new a new Christian to just bring a little life into our party, right? We talked about it in our Sunday school class a little bit that sometimes we need a, a new, fresh, excited uh, a person that just recently received Jesus, and that their level of anticipation and excitement kind of bleeds into the rest of us. Because we don't have that, I think what we need to do is certainly pray that, pray for that, and then do our job in our marketplace to encourage, to bring in the young Christian or the new Christian. But I think what we also need to do is go back and revisit our own new birth time and bring some new excitement into your life. Paul told Timothy, he said, fan the flame. Fan the flame into your own life, Timothy. Go back and recognize your first, where you started. And remember, can you remember your day of salvation? Can you remember the day that you first appreciated your forgiveness? What did it feel like? Tell me, what did it feel like? Overwhelming? A warm feeling? Excitement? Freedom? Yeah. What else? Joy. Hunger. There's more to it. A burden lifted. Remember how, do you remember, do you remember what it felt like when that conviction, when, when the pastor, I'm assuming you did it at an altar service. Okay, let's just assume you did. And the preacher was preaching and the Holy Spirit was convicting and you had that knot in your stomach and you knew that the pastor was talking to you. I mean he must have read your mail. He must have been in your he must have watched you what you did last night because he was talking right to you. You know that? And you felt that that urgency, you felt that pain, you felt that that uncomfortableness in your in your gut. And when you had the courage to raise your hand or walk down to the front and you truly met Jesus that day and how immediately that terrible, ugly, yucky feeling just evaporated and all of a sudden you felt the love of Christ coming and saying, Hey, I have your sin it 's mine now. Let go of it, and that joy and that freedom and that burden lifted. Do you remember that? Do you remember how that burden felt so good when it was when it was lifted man i when I was a kid, I grew up in a church this is this church the assemblies of god church and and uh, I was kind of a sensitive kid, even though I had a lot of things i did i was quite, I was one of those quiet deviants. Passive aggressive people. I could say the right things and do what I wanted to do later, but you know, I was always could play the game pretty well. And uh, but I can remember, more as a kid, I, I came to the altar a lot. I must have been really bad because it seemed like from that area of eight to twelve, whenever there was an altar given, it was just for me because the, the pastor was talking right to me all the time, and so I was always at the altar. But and so I had a lot of those times of, of, of feelings. But then that came, that experience when I was 12 and I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit came and Reuben Wanberg prayed me through. I don't know if you remember. Who who remembers Reuben? Yeah, Reuben Wanberg. He was always old. <laughs> <laughs> you know those people that are always old, like Sister Ryder, always old. But you know, that moment of, that Holy Spirit baptism at twelve years old—it was so fresh, it was so new, it was so powerful. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember in the in the church on Upright Street. I remember the, where I was at in the altar. I remember when the Holy Spirit came. I remember when I got my prayer language and I started speaking in tongues, and I couldn't stop. And I can remember—I mean, I literally couldn't stop. I walked out of the—I don't know how long we were there, but a, a while. And I remember walking across. The, the, the yard to our church or to our car and I was still speaking in tongues as a 12-year-old boy and it was so real. It was so real. There was nothing fabricated about it. There was nothing fake, nothing phony about it. It was the real deal. The power of the Holy Spirit fell on the 12-year-old boy and it was true. And I've never doubted it since. Did I live a perfect life since? No, I've made a lot of mistakes since. And, and, I, and I've fallen down numerous times but the Lord... Has been, re- has been new for me over and over and over again, and I so much appreciate that. And as a church of older folks, we need to go back and revisit those times. We need to go back and revisit those times of refreshing when the Lord touched you and you knew. You knew it was just for you at that point, that Jesus died just for you, and the Holy Spirit was given just for you, and it was yours, and you could grab it, and you could taste it. It was so real. We need to have that level of excitement. We need to have that passion. We need to have that reality settle into our church on a regular basis. Amen? I encourage you, if you haven't had one of those experiences, all you have to do is ask for it. If you haven't had one of those Holy Spirit-filled experiences, you've got to know that the gift is for all. It's not for the chosen. It's for all. And all you have to do is ask. Ask, 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 and just trust the Lord to give it to you in the right time that he has for you. Don't know where it's going to happen? It may be here. It may be on your deer blind. It may be when you're riding your bike. It may be when you're walking. It may be when you're taking a shower. I don't know when, but it will come if you keep asking. Keep asking, and don't put limits on God. Don't say, God, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it my way, because your way and his way, I will tell you, don't match. The Bible says His ways are far exceeding our ways. We can't even begin to comprehend God, let alone how He works in humans. Do not put blinders on yourself when it comes to the experience of the Holy Spirit and what He can do for you. Do not say, well, I've never done it that way before. That's okay. The Holy Spirit's got a whole new way for us. And He will open you up and He will give you a whole new look at life, a whole new passion for life. And if you just ask him and then trust him for the process, get ready. Get ready because he will give the gift. It's for all of us. Amen. So I'm saying that not everyone here in this church is a grumpy old person. There's a few. (laughs) Hey, you're talking about me now. Now you're talking to me. No, there's not all of us here. I mean, we are here because we eagerly are desiring more of God, and we are, uh, we are, we are hungry for the Word. I mean, that's why you come out on a snowy day like this. You're not, you wouldn't come out if you're, if you're just a molly person. I know that, and I appreciate that, the fact that you, you did, the fact that you got out and you came out in this snowstorm. And I really appreciate that. And I just want to let you know that we're all on the same journey together we are journeying the road of salvation we are journeying the, the road of works we're journeying the world of of getting to god and being pleasing to him together and and it's important i said the word works i know it and i and i meant i meant to say it because as a saved person we are a working person i said it in the sunday school just one of the conversations that the only the only person the only person that didn't have to work after they got saved There's only one person that never had to work a day in his life after he got saved. Do, do, Do you know who it is? The thief on the cross. Because he didn't have opportunity to. But if he would have gotten off that cross and lived for a normal life, he would have to be just like you and I today. Works come with salvation. Amen? Works come because we're saved, not to get saved. We have to recognize that God created us to be workers. You look back in the Garden of Eden. You look back at at the the, the, the account in Genesis. What did God do? How did he create Adam and Eve? To do what to the garden? To work it, to maintain it, to tend it, to to take care of it. He didn't just say, here's your garden and I'm going to do the work. No, he said, Adam and Eve, here's your garden and you're going to do the work. It's your job to take care of your garden. And it's the same thing for us. It, it is a, it's a subtle lie of the enemy that's come in over the years to try to get Christians out of this idea of working because what that means is what he will do is he will twist it over to be a salvation of works, not a life of works because we're saved. Huge difference. And so when we have that, when the devil is, is, is successful in bringing that mentality to happen, what that means is a church gets lazy. A church doesn't do anything. You know... Um, we had a, uh, a pastor's, uh, sectional pastor's meeting here on Friday. All the, you know, there was probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 of us came together and we had a nice gathering. And then Robin and Jeff made some great chili and some baked potatoes for us and all that good stuff. And it was really awesome. But, you know, one of we were talking about, and I, I had the, 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 the devotional. And so we were talking about, I, I mentioned to them what we've been talking about here about the producer consumer model and how the churches have fallen into the consumerism side of church instead of the producer side, and we start talking about that. And one of the guys said, you know, um, they were part of a church at one time that didn't have a building. And uh, they had to go into a school or some some facility, and they had to set up every Sunday, set up the chairs and set up everything and set up all the musical equipment and, and do all the setup and tear down and all that stuff. In fact, our daughter, Jenna, and and uh, her husband, Josiah, they go to a church in uh, North Carolina that does that. They are part of the uh, Summit Church, uh, J.D. Greer Church, and they, has, they have satellites all throughout that region, that area there, um, within, you know, like 30 miles from the from the... Main church. And they go into a school and they have a set up crew and a teardown crew. And every day, man, they've got probably three or 400 people that go there. They have two services. And so they have people that are setting up in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. They're setting everything up. And then they have their services. Then they take another crew to tear down. And it's a lot of work. But you know, um, this pastor that, that talked about it on Friday, he said, you know, after, and, and everybody was energized in that church. Everybody came because they had something to do. And then they were blessed because they got a building. And all of a sudden, everybody kind of just got lazy because they had nothing to do. And I thought, wow, isn't that something? That here we have a great building, a great facility, and they got a facility, and all of a sudden the energy, the momentum just kind of evaporated over time because people would come into church, and they'd have nothing to do. But when you have a, when you have a project, when you're important because you have to be there to set the chairs up or whatever your responsibility is, it gives you a purpose. Well, let me tell you that you have a purpose beyond setting up chairs. You have a purpose because we have a beautiful facility here that's all paid for and it's warm and it's pleasant and it's, it's felt well taken care of. Thank you, Robin and Jeff and all the others. Jim Beers for being our, 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 our deacon of, of taking care of the building and, and just does a great job of everything. That doesn't give the rest of us the opportunity to come in and not do something, right? We, we just can't come in and consume. Consumers that consume... We'll just consume. But producers that consume, consume to produce. We'll talk about that more on Sundays down the road a little bit more because we want to continue to talk about that because, yeah, as a producer, you need to consume. Otherwise, you'll just burn yourself out. But you don't consume just for the simple process of consuming and getting fat and lazy. No, you consume so that you can be a more producer, so that you can produce more, right? Right. And so that's kind of where we're at in a church. We're we're kind of in that in the, in this spot now where we would have to come to make a choice. The Lord is is asking us, where are we at in our progression of being a church? Where are we at in our progression? Because we are on a journey. None of us have arrived. We're all together on this journey. We're all moving in the same direction. But where are we at in the choices that we are that we can make to? Uh, Consume or produce in our church? Let me ask the question Do we want growth? Yeah. What kind of growth do we want? Spiritual growth. Um, another pastor commented they were part of a church that had three services a Sunday. But it wasn't long, and the church today is 40 people. And he said, do not let numbers tell you or define success. Do not let numbers, do not let how many people walk in and out of your doors tell you that you're successful or not. At the same time, don't be comfortable (laughs) in any number where you're at. Don't be comfortable in 20. Don't be comfortable in 2,000. Because there's always more. But there's more from the perspective of we're growing spiritually in the kingdom, not just growing number's sake, right? There's a difference. There's a reason that we have to grow. And the growth is because healthy things grow, right? Healthy plants grow. Healthy trees produce apples. Healthy things grow. Healthy things produce. Healthy things multiply. Unhealthy things shrivel up. Unhealthy things limp. Unhealthy things will eventually die, right? So we need to determine who we are as a church. Where, where are we this morning? Um, what do we want to do this morning? I asked you to look around a, a few minutes ago, and, and we saw a bunch of family, uh, friendly faces and things. But let me ask you, um, what, aren't, what aren't we hearing in this church? What aren't we hearing in this church? We aren't hearing babies crying. We aren't hearing toddlers that are squirming in their seats thinking that, oh, that's disturbing the pastor. No, it's not disturbing me. I love it because that's growth. That's life. We need to do some things. We need to do some things to bring those into our church. Amen? We need to work hard at doing some things to bring into this church. So how do we do this? Let me just continue to share with you some scripture. And this will help us motivate ourselves when it comes time to having this concept of sacrifice in order to grow, because things that grow also sacrifice. Luke chapter 14, you can turn in your Bible. What's on the screen is going to be in the New Living, the Living Bible Translation. Jesus says some hard things, just in case you don't know it. He says some hard things. And this is, this is what Jesus talks about when it, when it comes time to uh, discuss the concept of sacrifice. He says great crowds were following him. He turned around and he dressed them as follows. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers or sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. And no one can be my disciple who does not carry his own cross and follow me. Here's Here's this verse, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. Hmm. We'll come back to that in a minute. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if he has enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise he might complete only the foundation before running out of funds. And then how everyone would laugh. See that fellow there? They would mock. He started that building and ran out of money before it was finished. And then the passage goes on to talk about a king that is going to war and he would measure his 10,000 against the 20,000 that are coming and says, hey, do you, think I can, do you think my 10,000 can defeat that 20,000? If not, then I better go to that opposing king and start negotiating so I don't go into a bloodbath, right? But then 30, verse 33 kind of wraps it up. It says, so no one can become my disciple unless he first sits down and counts his blessings and then renounces them all for me. These are some pretty hard words, aren't they? This is Jesus speaking. This is not some heretic. This is Jesus speaking to people that are following him. Do you think he's trying to thin the crowd? Do you think he's just trying to speak truth? I think he's just trying to speak truth. Can we see the significant cost of being a disciple for Jesus? It's interesting how he says, and who would count the cost? Don't begin until you count the cost. What's the cost? Wait, I, I thought... That all I had to do was declare, like it says in Romans ten nine, like it has right here in this little piece of wood that Max carved for us. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I, I thought it was just that simple. Well, it is that simple. But then it's going to cost you everything you have because you've changed Ownership. It, it, renouncing something here is interesting because renouncing something may mean that we have to let go emotionally so that what we possess no longer possesses us. Think of that. Nothing wrong with owning things as long as those things don't own you. But as soon as that thing that I own starts to own me, what have I done? Those that have been in the Killing Kryptonite book study, what does that, be, what does that look like? It starts with the letter I. Idol. What does God think about idols? Does He like them? No. So, as soon as we let those things that we possess possess us, we've made them an idol. And we have then become an idol worshiper. And that is displeasing to the Lord. And we need to be careful because we can be Christians with idols. We can be Christians with idols which now is a slippery slope of demise and begins a slippery slope of compromise if we're not careful. So Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost that you're willing to renounce your blessings. Count your blessings. See all that God has given us. And he's given us so many great blessings, right? Count them and then renounce them. In other words, don't let them own you, but you make sure you keep a proper context of what they are, where they came from, and then what are you supposed to do with them? The gift of eternal life is free to anyone that would ask. But we have to recognize that asking and then receiving is it also requires a transfer of ownership. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 in the Living Bible says, Your own body does not belong to you after you've received Christ. For God has bought you with a great price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because who owns it? God owns it. He bought it. So therefore, now he owns it. And I, and I have to let that go. Luke chapter 9 says the same thing in a little different words. Luke 9, chapter, 23, uh, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He, then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. For if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So what do we want? The choice is ours, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is clearly giving us the choice. He's saying, what do you want? Do you want to save your life or lose your life? Are you willing to give up ownership of your life? That's when he's saying, that's when he says, count the cost. So if someone were to come for salvation, we don't probably don't do this somebody comes up for salvation we pray the sinner's prayer with them and say well all right you're saved now go your way but what we really need to do is talk to him a little bit and say now do you realize what you've just done do you realize the significance of what you've done you have just given your life to god and now because of that you are now you are no longer your own man do you know that you have changed center point locations. That's why we name this church Center Point, because we have to recognize that if Christ isn't at the center point of your life, we're really not Christians. We're just people that are playing the game. So, truly, if we are going to be a Christ follower, then we have to recognize that I no longer own my life. I no, I no longer own my passions. I no longer own my desires. I no longer own my pocketbook. That's a big one now. Who owns your pocketbook? What are we of our pocketbook? A steward. We are to be a good steward of our pocketbook. And that means then that we are not to worry about the things that often come to our minds when it comes to our pocketbook. It doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't save. It doesn't mean you don't do wise things because that's what good stewards do. They do wise things. They produce. That's what good stewards do. They produce. But they produce with the mindset of how can I use what I've gained Back to my Lord, right? Again, it doesn't go just to feed my desires because my desires truly aren't my desires anymore. They shouldn't be anymore. So counting the cost means recognizing and agreeing to some terms that Christ is giving us. We simply cannot follow our own inclinations anymore. We have to, go, we have to look at it and say, man, God, if, if you truly are going to be the, the God of my life and the center point of my life, then I may have to lose some relationships, I may have to change some of my friends. I may have to choose some new things to do as much as choosing to things that I don't do anymore. We have to fill up our life with the good things that God has for us. It's not just stopping the don'ts. It's doing the do's. And God has a lot of good do's for us to do when we've changed our life from that of a consumer to that of a producer slash consumer. So how should we be looking at investing in our church? That's the obvious thing before us. Before we can look at a a solution, do we all see the need? What is the need in our church? Can I just, let's just talk about that for a minute. What does our church need? We need to grow with families, teenage kids, bringing in the youth. Does everybody agree with that? Anything else that our church needs? Volunteers. To do what? need volunteers to do the work. Do the work of what the church requires. See, there have been a lot of prophetic words given over this church over the years that have prophesied that this church should be full of all ages. I've heard people tell me that they've seen the pews full, they've seen the altars full, they've seen the Sunday school classrooms full, they've seen this church full. And prophetic words come with action, right? Prophetic words don't just come by themselves unless we apply our action to them, our faith and our action to them. Prophetic words just aren't meaning that it's just an abracadabra kabam it's all done prophetic words come with those that are willing to put them into action so we can have the prophecies but not fulfill them because we're not willing to be obedient to what god's asking us to do to bring the prophecy to pass right do we agree with that am i stating anything that's not right there i don't think so i think it's correct because i when i read god's conditional statements in his bible if you do this i will do this God is full of conditions. I will bless you if you do this. I will bless you. But all the ifs. There's a lot of ifs in the Bible. And I believe that we are the generation that is in the balance here. I believe that we are in a generation that's in the balance here right now. In some ways, we're Gideon's army. In some ways, we could go back and apply our church to the, to the, to the story of Gideon. Because when Gideon started the battle, how many people did he have in the battle? That he, on, his, on his army thousands I don't know 20,000 maybe more I, can, I have to go back and review the numbers but big numbers and then the Lord reduced it because the Lord said Gideon for all those that want to go home they're afraid let them go let them go home and so half the army left right there and then Gideon then the Lord said Gideon you still have too many people so he took him down to the, down to the crick, and he said, "Okay, those that lap like a dog or those that you know bring the water to their hands and whatever and that was another another way to strip it down so basically, he started off with, a, with an army of thousands, ended up with an army of three hundred to go against an army of thousands and we all know the story Gideon won interesting to go back and know how he won, but not one person was killed of the three hundred. The point of the matter is is that um, God brings us down to few quite often so that when the victory is won, it's clearly his victory and not man's victory, right? I mean, if if this place was thriving because I was a great preacher or Jackie was a great worship leader or or Max and Jim were great Sunday school teachers, then all of a sudden the, the credit starts to go into us and we just can't handle that. We're just too weak to handle that. But when the Lord starts doing what he's doing right now, and now he's getting to the point where this is impossible odds, folks. And what we're going to ask is a pretty big deal because I believe that we need to step out in faith and um, hire or raise up from within a ministry, a leader of ministry for families, a children's pastor to speak, exactly. I, I read a letter. I wrote a letter to the church a couple weeks ago now but just pray to say, how could I give of my resources? How can I, all the blessings that I have, how can I renounce them for the Lord? (laughs) How can I sacrifice what I've been given to help the Lord build the church and be obedient with that? Because that's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it through our obedience. I really think that this will happen if we prepare ourselves through prayer. I would like to, I know that we've been talking about this last number of weeks, you know, a producer produces all week long. You come into the church ready. You don't come in burned out. You're producing your own spiritual life through the week. I, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But I, I do think it would be good. You know, we, at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, Jackie and the worship team come in and practice. I would say, I would like to say at 9 o'clock Sunday mornings, can we have prayer warriors come in into chapel and begin praying? So let's fill this place up at 9 o'clock Sunday mornings and we'll be praying. We'll, we'll actually be concerted prayer times at 9 o'clock Sunday morning in the chapel. We have prayer warriors already praying. We'll put some music on, some worship music. You can pray, you can intercede, you can be there, you could be prayed by yourself, pray together. And you might say, well, wait, now I'm 9 o'clock. Man, I'm here till 12, that's three hours. I mean, that's a long time to be in church. Well, can I just tell you, where, what happened to the concept of keeping the, some, the Sunday as a Sabbath? Keeping it the Lord's Day. You know, I tell you, we, I think we're making excuses if we say, well, it's my only day off. It's I, my only day of, of rest. Well, I, I'm just telling you guys, if we're going to be successful, we need to sacrifice. And if you need to sacrifice some time on Sunday mornings to come in and pray together, That's a prayer, that's a time well worth sacrificing. I don't know what else to say. We don't do God's work our way. God gets his work done his way. And his way is through prayer. I'm not saying you can't pray at home. I would encourage you to pray at home. So I'm really really offering this to be a joint cooperative effort that we're all going to get involved. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your passion. Thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you so much for a dream. Lord, I pray that the dream killers stay away. I take authority over every dream killer. Discouragement, disappointment, lack of vision, starting too small, all those dream killers. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would be thrown off of us. Lord, bring the dream of the vision of new life into this church one more time, I pray. Let us be that generation. Let us be that generation that others would rise up and call blessed because we didn't stop it, we didn't give up. We pressed in one more time. And Father, I pray that you give us the resources to accomplish the dream that you have for Charlevoix, for Centerpoint Assembly and this community, the kingdom of God in this community. And we ask for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody that's in agreement with that, would you tell me? Would you say, Amen? Amen. 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 Be blessed today. Be praying about this. Thank you.